Welcome to MediaPost's Brand Insider. I'm your host, Steve Smith, Editorial Director of Events here at MediaPost. Each week, we interview marketing leaders from companies old and new about how they build and evolve their brands on an unpredictable media and culture terrain. In addition to this full audio interview in podcast form, we also publish a companion newsletter with highlights from the Q&A. MediaPost has been covering marketing and media news for over 20 years. You can find the Brand Insider Weekly as well as our daily coverage at MediaPost.com. Now, let's get into it. As we record this, I'm coming back from MediaPost's three-day Insider Summit for publishers, and it's clear that anyone who is producing content of any kind right now has one industry development top of mind, generative AI. If GAI mentions were a drinking game, we'd all be comatose by now, and it looks like it will be that way for a while. The problem is that any other topic about media and marketing you try to discuss and nail down is likely going to be changed in some way by the application of AI in the near future. So the topic upends almost all lines of discussion, which is to say that GAI is a kind of black hole of a topic whose, uh, uh, whose irresistible gravity sucks every conversation towards it. Resistance seems to be futile, so let's dive into it, into that black hole. Uh, Ranjan Roy is an excellent way into the GAI topic. He comes to it informed rather than simply dazed and befuddled by it. At a previous startup, he worked on natural language processing and automated summation technologies. So I think the attendees at our recent Brand Insider Summit for D2C found him a perfect explainer uh, to melding the world of GAI with marketing. That's why I wanted to have him with us here today. He's taught at the City University of New York. He co-founded the consultancy, The Edge Group, as well as informally, but now he's the VP of strategy at Adormi, the D2C women's lingerie brand that is made what was made famous by its perfect sizing for brands and lingerie. Welcome, Ranjan. Good to be here and excited to uh, dive into this black hole with you. <laughs> so um, you were playing with generative AI and the open AI APIs before most marketers discovered it. And in fact, as, as we mentioned, you were actually playing with natural language processing uh, a number of years ago. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about the background, not only with you with natural language processing um, and summation technologies, but also some of the ways you were playing with open AIs, APIs before everybody discovered ChatGPT in December. Yep, yep. So back in 2013 to 2017, I ran a startup called Informerly that was a news personalization service. Again, idea for professionals. You get, you know, what are the five to 10 most important news stories for you based on your job, your interests, all these kind of things. So we used a lot Actually, there was, you know, operational around natural language processing to understand what an article was about. But then we had experimented a lot on the natural language generation side with summaries and trying to create good summaries of articles. That was far from good in 2015, 2016. Mm -hmm. Like, so they, the technology was never realized. But it's something that I'd paid attention to. So when GPT-3 was launched... Pretty early on, it was November 2021, while now being at Adormi, direct-to-consumer intimate apparel company, we started experimenting a little bit all the way back then, a year before ChatGPT was launched to the public. Um, and then by the fall, 
had actually operationalized a number of processes. We were we started working a company, writer.com, um, mm-hmm. who's done amazing work in the space as well um, with them at this early stage and then really started creating solutions. So by fall of 2022, we'd already gotten to a point where product descriptions were done in an automated fashion using GPT-3. Um, we'd start experimenting with email subject lines, a number of other use cases. So, so it's been... A long road, uh, clearly after ChatGPT was released and the hype cycle took over, the conversation has has been a little bit more than I ever would have expected in the past. But So how do you explain to your fellow marketers and the folks on your team uh, how this stuff works so they can get their head around what the engine is doing when they ask something of it, but also how they might use it, because that seems to be one of the key challenge, the two of the key challenges is understand what's actually going on in this black box so that you maybe can influence what it does, but then imagining the things it can do for you. Yeah, so I there's a, there's a, back in like 2015, when we started experimenting with this stuff, I remember one of the engineers on our team, I was asking him to try to explain to me natural language generation. And he started saying stuff around bag of words and vectors and other kind of complex topics. And then he did the most, he was like, okay, how about this? Cause this is all about prediction. And he said, peanut butter and jelly, obviously. And then he's like, okay, so you knew that you predicted it based on Everyone kind of knows we have been trained over and over again that peanut butter and the next word is jelly with nearly, you know, let's call it 100% accuracy, maybe peanut butter and banana or something else might uh, might make that slightly lower, but basically reminding you that within, given a context, predicting what the correct next word is, that's all any of this is. It's all just prediction based on some larger context. Um, and then once you start to think of it like that, then you start to see that, okay, what's important to be able to enable that prediction? And this is the stuff that with, especially on the marketing side, you need good data. The the quality of what you're inputting is going to determine the quality of what you're getting out of it. So again, like trying, this stuff will not magically solve problems for you. The better the data you have to go in, the better the output you'll get. But then also you have to be understanding what the right prompt is like what are you actually looking for what are you trying to get out of it just saying i want a product description is not going to be enough mm-hmm. it's i want this product description to have these attributes and these features and serve this purpose for this type of customer so i think like right now again there's this assumption that almost this stuff will just do your job for you and in reality there's it takes a lot of work to get good output Mm-hmm. And are are we limiting the fields that it's surveying with the query itself? Because I think some of the some of the output from JetGPT can be wildly inaccurate, or make us wonder where did it get that information? Is there something on the query side that marketers need to do to make sure that it's sort of narrowing the range of content that it's consulting, or is there a way to input the referenced content so you're at least limiting it? Yeah, so this is where fine tuning and the art of fine tuning, I think, is going to be one of the most important things that every department is going to need to take uh, learn. And the, the cool part is even like Google just released generative AI studio in beta, but it uh, it actually makes it so even a non-engineer, because in the past, what we would have to do is I would 
literally sit in a spreadsheet with the copywriter and we would write like prompt completion, prompt completion over and over a hundred times. And we would do it manually. And mm -hmm. we'd be like, I'm going to define for the system exactly what I want out to be the outcome. And then an engineer would then, you know, call the open AI API, fine tune a model, and then over time, and we'd have to do this a lot. It was a lot of manual work. Mm -hmm. uh, what's exciting for me is now there's tools being launched where you don't have to be technical. So an actual content focused person can kind of take part in this process. But, but in the end, that's the key to all of this. It has to be customized. You can't just take the, you know, like a generic GPT, generic chat GPT and get predictable stuff, especially the idea that you would use this in customer facing production. Mm -hmm. Like it has to be near perfect, if not very, very good. Um, and that, that sort of leads me then into the next question about how you organize internally around this, because here's, here's something that almost everybody's playing with. So you've got hundreds of people at your own company who are probably playing with it in their own way. Um, how have you at Adore Me come at the problem of how are we going to tackle this as a company? How do we organize around it? Is it, I mean, um, the media companies that I just met with um, are all doing it in a sort of a task force sort of way. Um, so they're, they're actually organizing different groups from around the company, having regular meetings, having regular agendas for what they're going to talk about, what they're not going to talk about, um, and also limiting the ways in which people use it. Um, at, at, and at the same time, trying to keep the umbrella large. So you're getting a lot of inputs and a lot of creativity. How are you guys doing it? Yeah, we have taken the task force approach in some ways. Again, like on the media buying acquisition side, we created a small group. And there it's interesting because it was like playing with both images and text on the copywriting team because the copywriting team reports to me. So they have been very integrated into this process. I've gotten them interested and involved for since last fall. But then on the technology side, we have a very large engineering department that has, but they both built internal task forces, um, basically to try to encourage experimentation. And then at a high level, we're discussing as a company, what's our kind of like centralized approach to this, because clearly the compliance side of it, the ethics side of it, the responsibility side of it, there's a lot of things we have to have firm policy around. And balancing that with how do you get still encourage as much experimentation as possible, it's something we've definitely been mm -hmm. thinking about. But but the way we kind of categorize this is like, there, there's a few different layers to this, right? There's the playing side, make funny images and make funny song lyrics in ChatGPT, but that's actually still important because the more people do that, the more the familiar they are. Then the second bucket is kind of how do you integrate this into your existing workflows? And this is where even Google released uh, in Docs and Gmail generative features that we've been testing. We've seen that's kind of cool because people are already in Docs. So the way to have it directly in there rather than having to open a different window in ChatGPT mm. in their existing workflows, try, uh, trying to push that forward makes a difference and is going to be very important to me. And then the third bucket is what I would call kind of the transforming your workflows. That's actually building the tools and processes to automate things like we did with product descriptions. And that's still very kind of 
hacked together case by case. And we, we think we're still pretty far ahead in terms of having some of these things already operationalized versus just talking about them. But th those are kind of the three main buckets we put things in. It's interesting you mentioned the importance of, uh, or the value of having these things embedded into workflows, uh, because it's one of the things that came up in the last few days at our at our publisher summit. One of the more interesting AI-driven tools that I saw was from um, uh, for, was from Nextdoor, the uh, the local social media company. They've created a consumer-facing AI tool that uh, integrates with people doing messaging uh, on the site that uh, zeroes in and and uh, uh, alerts them that their um, that their message is a little hostile. Uh, do you want a little help making this kinder? Which I thought was a really interesting use of it, but I can see the ways in which this can integrate into workflows where it's kind of like a helper that's always there saying, do you want a little help with this? Uh, or here's where we could, might help you if you want it. Yeah, that, I think that's a good way to put it. That is funny to me, the idea of like next door, knowing yeah. that they need to tone down a certain messaging and hostility. And also that's an interesting one. And, and it actually does bring up an interesting point is the interaction of the person with the technology is actually very sensitive and matters how this stuff is structured. Because in reality, like if I'm angry and I'm writing a message on next door and then some robot is telling me to calm down, I'm probably guessing I'm not going to respond right. super positively to it. That almost, so, but, but, but in uh, moving away from next door, like even for us, uh, the way this stuff, which is why it was so important to me to have people on the copywriting side integrated into the process of, as, of fine tuning mm -hmm. so they can see and understand and have an invest, like be invested in the outcomes mm -hmm. because everyone has to be on board with it. Cause I, otherwise what happens is, and this happened early on when we were more just kind of like experimenting, the output is not going to be great on day one. It just won't. Mm -hmm. And there's such a risk of when people just kind of have this like, blank look at you like, this is not great. Like, is this really what we're going to spend time on? It's a risk. I think a lot of companies are going to have to overcome because mm -hmm. there's, especially now it's much worse. A, a year ago, it was fine because people just thought it was a side project. Now, given the hype cycle and the assumption that everything is going to be like transformative on day one, when and then you actually try to use something for work and it gives you something average, I think that's actually one of the bigger risks for the technology right now. Well, one of the things, speaking, using the term risk, because one of the things you talked about at the DSC event is that in evaluating how to use this, one of the things you need to do is risk assessment, where where you run the, the where uh, you run the highest risk um, or the most downside in things going awry. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you're thinking about how you build risk into assessing where you will and won't pursue uh, generative AI or where you're going to be more and less careful about it. Yeah. So we basically made like a classic two by two matrix on one uh, axis. It was revenue risk. And then the other, it's how structured is something. Meaning mm -hmm. like, again, product descriptions, if you think about it, are incredibly structured. There's set attributes that make it in. There's a repetitive kind of framework for the copy, email subject lines, fairly structured, but 
those two have very different revenue risks for us. Email subject lines, email is a huge driver of revenue for us. So you can't screw up email subject lines. So there is going to be, we currently use AI for just ideation, but it's we're still have not gotten to the point where we're comfortable definitely populating an email subject line and taking that kind of risk when it's such so important for us versus product descriptions are important, but they're not going to necessarily make or break that level of sales. They'll certainly have some, they have to be good and you have to be careful, but we could, we, we you have a little, or I mean, you have significantly less direct revenue impact. And I think that's the way everyone needs to think about these technologies is that the more revenue at risk, the more you need to have people in the loop being, you have to be extra careful. You have to iterate on the model and get it better and better and better. And uh, again, it's that mm-hmm. uh, having like a clear prioritization around these uh, kind of different axes is important. Uh, so where are you actually using it? And oh. right now at Adorme? Yeah, so a couple of different areas. So again, product descriptions was like, the biggest use case. And I can even get into more how not only did it, we get to the point of it saving time, but it actually has had benefits far beyond like what an individual or even a team of people could have done. Um, but then also again, email on the subject line, we're still using it for ideas, but not to actually populate the email or directly go into it. Another area is we actually, a service of ours called Daily Look. It's a stylist service, a styling box service. And there's a person who styles your box and writes a note and they write it from scratch. We've started there. It's actually integrating to the workflow, giving people a first draft based on the items in the box. That is one of the, an area where I'm pretty excited because that's a lot more complex to populate Mm -hmm. these first drafts, but it's been going pretty well. So those are the areas where Mm -hmm. it's in the workflow operationalized. Um, I would say, yeah, those are the three main areas. Elsewhere, again, it's uh, everything else I would still put in the experimentation phase. Uh, And one of those experimentation uh, phases is around image generation, which always is the thing that generates the most laughs. I think when we we generate, you know, arms coming out of uh, hips and uh, and and eight fingers that are three, you know, three feet long. Um, Where are we in using AI driven image generation? Where do you think it will and won't have the most impact for you? Yeah, I, I think. It's been moving pretty quickly. Again, like Adobe's generative fill product that just came out is pretty spectacular. I think like it, when I, earlier when I had said there's kind of three stages for us, the fun, the existing workflow, and then transforming the workflow. Mm-hmm. The fun part is clearly Dolly, mid-journey, these kind of things everyone's having fun with, but like getting something that you're going to put in front of a customer, those things, tools do not get us anywhere near. Mm-hmm. Um, the existing workflows, having stuff that's predictable and usable still is maybe starting to get there, but it's still not there for us yet. Because the thing is for an e-commerce company, for a fashion company like us, imagery makes all the difference. Like when a customer is deciding whether to trust that you're a good brand or a real brand, especially for intimate apparel, how it fits and looks on the model is gonna make or break the sale completely. Like everything else is secondary to that. And we are nowhere near that being done in an automated fashion. I think the like that, I was, that speaks that goes back and speaks to the risk issue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The risk and in terms of the structured side as well, 
like a, you know, like a piece of laundry on a human body. There's so many nuances and intricacies mm-hmm. about the way stuff fits and folds and whatever else. Like it's a, uh, it's just not going to be done accurately versus, I mean, I was, I was talking with someone like if I sold like battery packs or something, I would be using AI on Amazon. I would be like where the imagery is almost like it's not even secondary. It's like, no one really cares that stuff, put a battery pack on 50 different backgrounds and like mm-hmm. in different positions, I think is okay. The we, I think we're closer to, you know, here is a product flat lay by itself. Give me some different backgrounds. That could be interesting. Um, and then the other area, which I know like Revolve did something, they launched a campaign around, is like then creating images that could not be created in any, like a person on the moon or something like that. Okay. Like that could be another interesting area where everyone kind of knows what's happening. It's not trying to be real or realistic, I think, but still doing cool creative stuff could be fun on that side. But I still think imagery, imagery overall, especially for a fashion brand has a long way to go. So um, most of the talk, and I think you focused a lot of your talk uh, at DOC was uh, about AI offering marketers efficiencies, taking on and replacing some of the tedium. Um, what areas in e-commerce do you think it will be actually transformative? Are there places where AI could really change or radically improve the shopping experience for users or just the relationship between a brand and its customers? Yeah, so to me, the most interesting part of this is Traditionally, any kind of online shopping, almost like the goal is to minimize the interactions with the customer. Because mm-hmm. just from like a pure economic standpoint, the more interaction you have, the more expensive it is. To me, the most exciting part of this is it almost flips the equation where creating more non-conversion-oriented communications mm-hmm. is something that every brand can start investing in. We've, we've been talking about this a lot. It's like after the point of purchase, getting communications around product care that are super personalized to the person, to the size of the outfit, to the, like, is it been three months? Has it been six months since they got the product? Mm-hmm. Like there's so much that can be done that in the past you would have not necessarily invested the time in because it would be too expensive. I think that starts to get very interesting. And that also changes the entire relationship with the shopper. Because then again, right now, almost every online brand, majority of your communications are still around some kind of selling. Um, So the idea that you can then start actually investing heavily into more value additive communications, like I think that, Mm. that, that can really change the way the, the, again, the relationship people have with a brand. I think there's a lot like, and we're definitely like looking into um, like the chat based experience or just kind of like how search works, what the customer journey looks like once you're on the site or the app. I think mm-hmm. that's interesting. I have no idea how that plays out. Cause in reality, like if you tell me no one really shops via chat, I don't think like it's uh, that hasn't really taken off yet but maybe it's just the quality was never there and that actually you could start. Um, I mean, again, and I guess search-based like starting points are normal, 
but actually like being in a app or a brand's website and really trying to like chat your way around has never worked in the past, but it could be interesting. Uh, let me pull back a little bit and talk about AI generally and the discussion around AI and how obsessive it's it's become. Is, is there a risk that the AI topic is hijacking other important business goals and discussions? When I hear so much obsessive discussion around a single topic, I start to wonder if there's a kind of FOMO that's driving this uh, and then it may be warping priorities and focus. Oh, I 100% agree. And this is as someone on our team who's been driving a lot of these efforts. Um, I mean, I, I honestly have seen and used like apps, like our other services and SaaS products where basic features, they've gotten completely distracted because now they're only focused on generative features that don't really add any value. I think this is, to me, this is actually where like, you know, would a chat bot that's using generative AI add value? Maybe or maybe not, we don't know. It's so to me, it's still focusing much more on where does it actually add value today? But yeah, I, the, for me, the hype cycle, having worked on this at Adore Me with, uh, with the team since again, November, 2021, it's kind of worrying because the problem for me is when you start on any of these processes, you will see, it's almost kind of, you know, like the Gartner hype cycle. You mm -hmm. see people go through that entire process right in front of your eyes. Like <laughs> they come in with inflated expectations, then they have their trough of disillusionment, and then you have to get them out and back into whatever the enlightenment and whatever comes after right. that. And you start right. pulling yourself out of it because, because it's just not, it's average to start. But now the, everyone's expectations are so high. Every company, every large tech company is selling the idea that it's all plug and play as well. That my worry is that the, you know, the downswing of this, once people realize it's not easy, could actually, you know, suck the air out of the overall potential from this. Um, well, let me take my own good advice here um, and, and, and make sure we talk about something other than AI. Uh, what marketing projects or, or new things are you working on hardest at Adore Me now? Yeah, the, the, in the AI is still in the fun experimental two projects. Some of them are working. Uh, loyalty and retention are top of mind in 2023. Um, for Adore Me, we've had memberships. And again, we have like two different membership models and membership is a huge core part of our business. But basically, I think the entire e-commerce industry has now gotten to where new customer acquisition only and repeated like the need to acquire customers over and over again, rather than having built in ways to have people shop repeat. Like, I think that's, that has to be priority for every direct to consumer brand. And it certainly is for us. What are the things that are working best for you in that regard? Yeah. So we have a try, home try on service called elite um, and that again, it's built in, it's, you get a box every month or depending on your preferences, you get four to eight items, you keep what you want, send the rest back. So that incredibly complex, logistically, operationally difficult to execute. We've executed well on it. Um, that retention is built in. It's like the customer is essentially shopping with you at home mm -hmm. every month or every other month or every third month or so. Um, but you know, the other thing that we really value, especially given the economic environment, is hugely top of mind. So how do you 
communicate value? How do you get customers excited? How do you discount effectively where customers feel like they're getting a good deal, but it does not devalue the brand? I think like these kind of things, these are the questions that aside from the fun AI discussions, these are the real discussions making or breaking the business right now. Uh, and I think they're probably going to be a uh, center of our D2C event in Austin in in October, because uh, I think you're right. That's this is where D2C is right now is focusing, especially on loyalty and retention. Yeah, I, I don't think I mean, unless if there's a major economic miracle where everyone is feeling completely flush again, maybe it's right. different. But but yeah, we, we don't I mean, we're we're very aware and going in and we're, we're happy again, we're a mass market brand and kind of like value and affordability have always been central for us, but still it's, it's now it's a bigger fight than ever to make sure customers understand that. Well, Ron John Roy of, of Adormi, I think we went through the black hole and came out safely on the other end. Uh, I appreciate it. We made it. We made it. We did. Um, thanks as always, Ron John. It's great to have you. Yep. Thank you. Thanks for hitting play on MediaPost's Brand Insider Podcast. We're here each week interviewing marketing executives from large and small, legacy and emerging brands. They share their experiences navigating the challenges of commercial clutter, media distraction, and consumer disinterest. You can also subscribe to the Brand Insider newsletter for edited text editions of these Q&As. For this and all of the marketing and media news reporting MediaPost has provided the industry for two decades, head over to MediaPost.com. And if you have any thoughts, comments, or suggestions for Brand Insider, you can always reach me, Steve Smith, at steve at mediapost.com. Until next week, let's market carefully out there. <laughs>